tremendous pleasure. I'd like to welcome Jan Hurst to the, to the floor. Thank you. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm really happy to be here. Uh, I live in Boston, and it's like so close, yet seems so far sometimes. <laughs> and it's um, it's really nice to just you know you get on a plane, and like 45 minutes later, you're in a whole other country. Uh, um, so I'm very happy to be here. I'm going to be presenting some work today that is quite different in substance from a lot of my other work. Uh, but one reason I'm presenting it is because one, I think it's great, and I'd like you to see it and help me build on this research idea but also because I want to show you how it connects to other substantive topics uh, by the data and thinking about ways that the kinds of data that we're going to be using in this study could be useful in a lot of different domains. Um, this project uh, it was co-authored by a physician at the Yale School of Medicine named Matt Goldenberg. And this first paper was published a few months ago uh, in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, and I'll talk a little bit more about where the research is heading. Uh, the norms that I'm used to, which I would love for you to embrace for this talk anyway, is to interrupt me whenever you feel like it if you have a question, okay? Uh, so, so don't be afraid to do that. Unless you don't want that to be the norm here, in which case I'm happy for <laughs> us to wait till the end. Okay, so let me bring you into this topic from both the medical angle and the political angle to tell you why I think we're interested in this. Okay, so what I'm going to show you, if it's not obvious from the title, is that when you are seeing your doctor, you are going to get different care in the United States if your doctor is a Democratic or a Republican. Okay, so how do we get there? Well, this is motivated by a lot of new research in healthcare about how care varies. Um, there's, you know, it, it sort of at first was this shock that in different parts of the country, people with the same kinds of conditions were being treated very differently. And then medical, research dig, dig, medical researchers dig in more and they learn across physicians, people are getting dramatically different care. So one example I like here is about hospice. Uh, if um, physician researchers were wondering why some cancer patients were going to hospice and others were not. And they plug in you know, all the variables they have about the different um, conditions and uh, trajectories of the different patients. Turns out the best predictor of whether this patient is going to hospice is the percentage of that doctor's patients that go to hospice. Okay? So uh, that was the thing that was most predicting uh, uh, going to hospice. So it's like a, 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 something about that physician is, is um, causing this kind of treatment. Okay, so we have that. We also have a lot of studies of imp implicit bias in patient care. So here, mostly there are these studies that exist before our study um, are about race or gender, that people who are patients of different races and genders or the doctors of different races and genders are treating patients in ways that are different. So an example here is about pain management. Uh, in the US, maybe here too, when you go to the ER, you're often asked by a physician, on a scale from one to 10, how much pain are you in right now, okay? And one an important study found that when African-American patients and white patients say the same number, like eight out of 10 in pain, white patients get more pain medication, okay? And the explanation of this is something like we have some bias, implicit bias about how um, different people of different races feel pain and, and, and how resilient they are to pain. And this is going, causing the doctors to treat patients differently, okay? So that's also a pretty big deal. On top of these first two things, which are obviously unrelated to explicitly unrelated to politics, there is a growing politicization in the medical profession in the United States. Right when we started this project, we were motivated in part by this law 
in the state of Florida, which is summarized by the media as docs versus glocks. And um, has anyone heard of this law? No. Okay, so if you are in the state of Florida um, and you are a physician, it is illegal for you to ask your patient about whether they have a weapon, how they store that weapon, unless you can say for sure, like in a court, that that person had some um, mental health condition such that this was a necessary part of medical treatment. If you can't think, if you can't prove that, you're not willing to say that in court, you cannot ask a patient about gun possession. So the Florida State Legislature made this law, and the doctors' groups challenged it, say, we have a First Amendment right to talk to our patients about whatever we want. And the state said, no, you don't. We license you. We are in charge. And the state won. And the United States Court of Appeals said, yes, this can be regulated. So now in two states in the United States, even though there's actually a lot of evidence that if a doctor talks to patients about safe storage of firearms, patients store their firearms more safely, uh, doctors cannot do this. So state legislatures, especially since Obamacare, have become more involved in regulating the health industry. Similarly, and probably not surprisingly, within the medical profession, which is fairly evenly split between Democrats and Republicans, Democratic and Republican doctors feel very differently about Obamacare. The Democrats like it, the Republicans don't like it. Um, and in some ways, like at some level, this is not surprising at all. And at another level, it should be surprising. This is something that, that affects their industry. And from a business standpoint or a professional standpoint, we might think, Doctors should just have like one view about this, whether it's good or bad for their profession. But it's not like that. They're just completely divided by their party. Finally, um, there's some recent evidence from Adam Bonica and colleagues about political giving among doctors. There's been a lot more political giving and a lot of specialty-based um, differences. So the higher earning specialties in medicine, uh, the surgical specialties are overwhelmingly Republican. They're donating a lot more to Republicans. And the... Uh, um, Left-leaning specialties, psychiatry, pediatrics, um, they are more democratic than ever and contributing money to Democrats more than ever. Okay, so these are all the motivations for healthcare about why we're going to study how a doctor's politics might affect their treatment. There's also a whole set of motivations from political science, which I, I will alert you to. One is really specific to my own interests, and these are interests in using public records to study politics. Almost all of my work is characterized by, by this, that thinking about how are we going to use all these new sources of data we have, these creepy spying sources of data that we can gather on the American public at least, and use them to answer new interesting questions about politics, questions that we just couldn't ask with the standard 1,000 or 10,000 or 30,000 person survey, but maybe we can get a handle on now. Um, so some recent work I've done about this has been using voter registration records and census records and precinct records to figure out uh, where wealthy and poor voters are, are vote tending Democratic or Republican at a very micro, uh, um, at a very micro geographic level. And another paper about how 9-11 victims, there's just like 1,000, 2,000 people in New York who died, how their families changed their behavior as a result of 9-11. So how did the 9-11 families vote and what party they affiliated before 9-11, and then tracking them over time to see how they changed their behavior. And again, only using public records. So one thing we're going to be doing here, and I'll be talking a lot about in the talk, is how public records, in this case, we have tons of data from, the medical, uh, from, from medical records um, 
in large part because of the public nature of a lot of medical care and the, and, and the data that's available through public records in the United States about medical care connected to all these political data that, um, that I use regularly in my work. There's, a, I think, a new and interesting substantive interest in studying the professions. Um, <laughs> professions, law, medicine, these are things that political scientists haven't paid much attention to before. Sociologists have paid a lot more attention to how um, people's uh, professional associations might affect their political engagement. And one real reason for this is that we just haven't had great data on professions. Um, that's changing a bit. Uh, Bonica, again, at Stanford and his colleagues, have done new work on lawyers, so gathering data about every lawyer and looking at their behavior. I'm engaged in a study with Gabby Molina, who's a grad student I'm working with, she's at Harvard, about religious leaders. So here we just scraped every church and synagogue database in the United States, composed a list of 180,000 pastors, linked them to voter records so that we're gonna be able to study how pastors of different denominations practice, and not by surveying everyday people and hoping maybe 2% of them are pastors, but just getting all the pastors and loading them into our, our data set. So um, trying to get one big chunk of professional organizations or professions at a time and trying to understand their politics is, I think, another important motivation from the political science or social science side. And finally, the, the area of research that most directly ties into the doctor's project I'm going to describe is about political spillover effects. A lot of data, a lot of research that has shown that people's partisan affiliations are affecting non-political aspects of their lives, right? So the fact that I'm a Democrat or Republican is going to affect maybe how I choose a marriage partner or how much money I spend in the economy after my team loses or wins an election or um, who I wanna hire for a job or what else is in here. Uh, who I want my kid to marry, uh, and so forth, right? How happy I am. Uh, the idea that our party affiliations might affect non-political things is a new and growing area of research. And uh, this, this idea that doctors' professional judgments are affected by their party affiliation is in line with uh, that research, okay? Some of you, hopefully not too many of you, are asking, is this a really a political science paper. I'm about to show you a bunch of medical stuff, okay? I'm about to show you like how people treat, how doctors treat patients and medical care. All the dependent variables here are going to be about medicine. And so you might ask, wait, why are we learning about this in a political setting? The independent variables here, of course, are gonna be about politics, right? And in general, I'm hoping that these kinds of teams, in this case, a team of a political scientist and a physician, uh, connecting political variables to non-political variables is something that is, at least for me, feels a little refreshing, and I hope that, um, that we can continue, actually, in political science to start, to start thinking about how are politics affecting lots of different things, not just what's affecting politics. Um, and so that's where I'm coming from with that. Okay, I'm gonna first tell you the basic setup of the survey we did, and then I'm gonna go back and talk to you about the data. I just wanna kind of give you an outline of the questions we're gonna be studying in this first um, analysis, okay? So, imagine a survey to primary care physicians. So this is um, physicians who are your general practitioner, family medicine doctors, adults only, uh, internal medicine, as they're often labeled in our healthcare system. And we ask them, we're gonna send them a questionnaire 
It's going to not look political at all. It's going to come from my colleague at the School of Medicine on School of Medicine stationery. And we're telling them we're trying to better understand how doctors take a patient's social history and what factors may in fact impact differences in the way physicians approach a patient's social history. Okay, so for the non-doctors, non-MD doctors in the room, I'm sure you're all doctors, but the non, for the non-real doctors in the room, what is a social history? So when a new patient uh, gets, it, when, if you go as a new patient to a doctor, that doctor usually has a checklist, and the first part of that checklist is about your medical history, like, you know, have you been hospitalized, et cetera, and the second part uh, is often about what they call your social history. So um, anything from your employment status, your family situation, uh, your sexual practices, your drug uses, your state of depression, uh, things like that are lumped together in a patient's social history. Okay, so all the doctors are, are think we're studying, we're, we're, but we're not, we're not being deceitful really. We're just saying we're trying to understand this social history and that's what we tell them. Okay, and we give them a bunch of vignettes. Okay, so we're giving a bunch of vignettes. The vignettes um, have this start to them. A healthy appearing 38-year-old male patient comes to your office for a physical. This is his first appointment with you. He does not have any known prior medical, chronic medical issues. During the patient interview, the patient, and this is one of them, acknowledges consuming about 20 alcoholic beverages in a typical week, but denies any related physical concerns. Okay. Acknowledges engaging in social smoking, consuming approximately 15 to 20 cigarettes per week, a habit that began at age 18. I should say here, all of these, what we try to do when we focus group these to doctors before sending them out in the survey, is made them like somewhat borderline cases, okay? We didn't say someone smokes three packs a day. We, someone, so, so we said someone smokes a little bit, okay? And so could, why, because we wanted to generate variation among the doctors. If we said they smoke three packs a day, all the doctors would be very concerned about that. But we thought, nah, maybe a few cigarettes. <laughs> Not all doctors would mind. Um, okay, this one acknowledges having intermittent bouts of depression. He completed a PHQ-9 screening tool, which, don't worry, I don't know what that is either. Uh, and he scored a 10, okay? He, so this is moderate levels of, um, of depression. This one has a BMI of 31, acknowledges having no regular exercise. The patient denies any physical complaints related to his weight. Acknowledges commuting to work by motorcycle, rarely wearing a helmet, but that he is a safe driver and never been in a serious collision. Something funny. In the US, you're supposed to wear a helmet. Is that not here? No? <laughs> Am I missing something? <laughs> Okay. Yeah, he, he just keeps he keeps getting worse. Like he keeps there's a it's a lot of health. Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. These are all separate vignettes. It's not the oh. same person. Yeah, yeah, no, no. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, man. So, <laughs> I'm just I'm just quickly going through what the vignette options are. Uh, they are all different. They are all different. Yeah. Okay. So those the first ones I just described were 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 kind of traditional cases where you think a doctor might be interested or, or, or concerned about uh, alcohol, tobacco, um, weight, depression, and helmet wearing. And now we have the ones we think might be a little bit, have more of a political edge to them, okay? So this patient acknowledges using recreational marijuana approximately three times a week, denies any related physical concerns. I should say on this, I said we tried to get, so before we did the study, we tried to focus group this out to see who would be concerned about, to have a moderate level of concern. And one good sign that we knew something was up in this study, uh, that we're going to get results that we were expecting, is that when we pitched this to Democratic 
physicians. We couldn't make the marijuana use frequent enough to raise their concern. Okay? We said, the patient uses, smokes marijuana two times a day. Okay? So we, we knew there was going to be a, there's a difference there between. Okay. Uh, this patient acknowledges having had sexual intercourse with sex workers several times in the last year, denies any physical symptoms related to sexual behavior. Uh, this patient, who is a parent with two small children at home, acknowledges having several firearms at home. Um, and finally, this, I've now the vignette switched to a female patient who's 28 years old, acknowledges having had two elective abortions in the last five years, denies any physical complaints or complications, not currently pregnant. Okay? So that's the survey we want to do. Now, the way we actually got this survey to the right pool of people is in some ways the most interesting part of the study for maybe for political scientists. And so let me explain what we did. Turns out, since not that long ago, anyone can just go to the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, which is the federal government in the United States' uh, main branch that they, 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 they do Medicare and Medicaid, and get this national provider identification file. You can just download right now every doctor in America, uh, and it gives you their work address, uh, what specialty they have, various state license numbers they have, their name, obviously. And this, and we pulled it anyway, had about 560,000 physicians in the US. Uh, about 150,000 of those are in primary care specialties, which are these four specialties, which are like, they have these codes, so these are the codes. By the way, we have, and I'll talk more about this, we did a lot, a whole other study, or we have all other data on non-primary care specialties, on the surgical, and all the specialties. We'll talk more about that later. But this study's gonna be focused on these primary care specialties, okay? Then we set, subset that to the 29 party registration states. Um, so uh, for those familiar with my book, I did, wrote a lot about how state law varies on what's available in a voter registration rec file and why it is. And so about 60% of the country, when you register to vote, you register as a Democrat or Republican. And that becomes a public record. In other states, you can't do that because they, um, either they open their primaries to everybody, so there's no need to collect the data, uh, or they don't release it. And so in 29 states, we have, for every voter, a public record, whether they're a Democrat, Republican, or Independent. Okay, so, so I'm going to focus on these 86,000 doctors in these states. What party they registered with when they registered to vote? Yes. So we know, um, let me just anticipate what your thing process is. So the party registration as listed in the public record is correlated like 0.95, 0.96 with how they would identify in a survey, even if it's 10 years after they registered. Um, it's a, it's, it lines up like perfectly with what we would consider like voter ID, a survey-based voter ID. There are some places like if you haven't registered in 30 years and you're in Kentucky, there are a bunch of people who are um, registered as Democratic and more likely to be Republican now, but it's nationally, it's, it's, it's almost perfect as a prediction of what people identify with now. And as you probably know, that identification or registration is, there's, there's almost no defection uh, to voting. So it's very, perf almost perfectly predictive of how you'll vote for every race on the ballot, right? Even if someone came as the leader of your party who does not reflect the values of your party, you will still just vote with them as a loyalist, okay? Um, not thinking of any particular examples. Um, okay, so we have these doctors who are in these states. And then we're going to take a 50% sample of them, which brings us down to this many doctors. And then we're going to match that to a voter file. 
there's a bunch of voter file vendors in the United States. The one that I've worked close, most closely with is a company called Catalyst, which generally vends data to the Democratic side, although has lots of contracts in universities now, and also its data are being used by the federal government. Um, and what it does is it aggregates voter registration records and then appends a bunch of stuff to them. Okay? Uh, why did I take this 50% sample? Well, I paid to get 100,000 records matched to Catalyst, and I did half of them roughly from the primary care specialties, and then the other half are from those non-primary care specialties for, for future studies. Okay? So we're down to 42,800 doctors. Now, how does this work? Um, I send Catalyst data on these doctors and where they work, but voters aren't listed on their voter registration records as where they work. They're listed where they live. So what do you do? Well, you can do a few different things. I wanted to exert a little more control over this process, so I gave Catalyst the name and address and the gender of these doctors, and I said, Catalyst, find me every plausible match within a commuting distance of 50 miles from this work address. So put in the work address, draw a circle around that work address, that's 50 miles in radius, and give me any plausible match on name and gender. Okay? What does plausible mean? Well, that's a, like a kind of a fuzzy matching tool. So, you know, uh, Tom is going to match to Thomas's, and maybe someone who has a hyphenated last name will match to someone who just has half that hyphen to try to accommodate uh, uh, maiden names and so forth. And so, from these 42,000 records, I got 161,000 registered voters. Okay, what's happening there? Well, for some people, like whose name is Eitan Hirsch, if I was a physician, there'd only be one of me, for sure. But if your name is Dr. John Smith and you're practicing in Manhattan, within a 50 mile radius, there's gonna be a lot of plausible matches to you. So how many of these matches do we actually have? Well, we have 18,000 of the 42,000, totally unique. And then we have 5,800 uh, more that are like unique enough for us to feel confident. So what does that mean? That means like, in a lot of these cases, it's like um, there's Dr. John Smith, Dr. John M. Smith, and then on the voter file, there's Dr. John M. Smith and Dr. John M. Smith Jr. But the junior's 18 years old. So unless he's like a Doogie Hauser situation, we're pretty sure that the senior is the one that we're talking about. So those are the kinds of things that are happening in that 5,800. Altogether, we have about 60% of these doctors were really confident um, that they're the right person. Because I'm going to send them a survey, uh, I care a lot about getting that precision right, right. I care a lot more about making sure there aren't false positive matches um, than mat getting a higher match rate. You might imagine a circumstance in which I would care about the, the, the opposite, right? So let's suppose that, um, let's suppose that uh, I don't, I'm not gonna survey them. I just wanna get the best guess at their partisan dispositions, okay? So I, I match Dr. Aton Hirsch to, to Catalyst and there are 10 Dr. Aton Hirsch's somehow uh, on the voter file. So for the survey, I said, I can't decide. I don't know who's the right one. I'm not going to survey all of them. But maybe of the ones who are on the voter file, nine out of 10 of them are registered Democrats. Well, now, if I'm only trying to estimate their partisanship, I don't care. I, that 90% that is informative to me. So I'm going to use that. But in this situation, I want to not send the survey to the wrong person. So we had a 60%, 57% match rate um, to make sure we, we minimized false positive matches. Everyone with me? Okay, good. So, and then of these, uh, so that's, that's 24,000. And then of these, 
um, 20,000 of them had mailable addresses, right? So their, their address is right. The catalyst thinks that links their, their address to the post office and says, yeah, like some, this is actually a real parcel. This, this is a real person who lives there. Okay, so we have these. Tw oh. Yeah. 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 Sure. So here's what I can tell you about them. Um, well, I mean, so in general, I can say that uh, the ones who matched versus the ones who don't match, um, so versus everybody. So uh, they're very close on gender. There is a slight, um, in general, uh, you can see that the people. If you compare the people who match to people who don't match you'll see that um, women are slightly harder to match than men because of name changes. Uh, you don't see actually a bias by like the density of a zip code. Um, so you don't see that. Uh, you, we, we probably would see something, like in the general population. Like ethnicity? Yeah, so you might see like a, a, a ethnicity, so, so that kind of um, white names are harder to match. Than, than ethnic names, because the ethnic names are more unique. But um, yeah, to the extent that we could measure, so we could measure the, how it varied by you know, age and gender and, um, um, sorry, not age actually, gender and top population density, we don't see much going on there in that bias. Uh, okay, so we have these 20,000 doctors. And 13,500 of them are Democrats and Republicans. The rest are independents. We're going to focus this study on the Democrats and Republicans, not on the independents. There's a whole sort of backstory of this research project, uh, which I won't get too much into. But um, we did this on a, on a pretty uh, small budget. And the reason we did this on a small budget is because when we pitched this idea to traditional medical research fun funders, they said, get the heck away from us uh, with this study because as we learned later, it makes doctors angry. Um, <laughs> and there's, um, yeah, well, I'll talk about, I can talk about that later if you're interested. But in any case, the one thing we could do to gain efficiency is we thought, okay, if there are going to be differences between doctors, they're most likely going to be strongest between Democrats and Republicans. We would anticipate that independence would be somewhere in the middle. So for starters, let's just focus on Democrats and Republicans. So that's what we did. Then, this is the, I know I'm, I'm showing you these like long string numbers, but this is the last important intuition to get from this paper, from the, from the sampling structure, is that we oversample doctors in mixed partisan practices. Okay? Because you're going to be concerned that if I show you a difference between Democrats and Republicans, you're going to think, well, of course, doctors in Iowa are going to be seeing different patients than doctors in Massachusetts. And even in Massachusetts, doctors in this rural area are going to see different patients than doctors in this urban area. Or doctors in this university practice are going to see different patients than doctors in this um, you know, lower income practice. So we said, OK, let's oversample Democrats and Republicans who are in practice together. We've linked them both to the voter file. We know that there are different parties. We know the same practice address. We'll oversample them. So we're going to be sending the survey to two doctors who work together and presumably see at least very similar patient populations. And we're going to compare them. Okay? Now, notice, we, if we just tried to do this survey without first linking these folks to their voter file, we couldn't do this. This is probably like the most important part of our design in some ways. And we needed to get those political variables first in order to do it. right? Uh, because we need to know whether they're Democrat or Republican before we surveyed them. 
So that's a really important feature of, of this study. In the end, for this initial study, we surveyed, we, we solicited 1,500 doctors. How many of them responded? 300 responded. Okay, is that good? I thought 20% response rate, they were not incentivized at all. So by, uh, by standard survey practices, this was surprisingly good. Uh, uh, it, if you're in the medical field, it's surprisingly bad. Uh, why is that? Because the general practice is that when doctors are surveyed, they're paid like $500 to take that survey. Uh, and we were not in the business of uh, paying doctors money. Um, but we got a surprisingly, like when I, when I, I um, some of you know Doug Rivers at Stanford who runs uh, YouGov, I said, I said, Doug, do you think we can get like sufficient data from this? And he said, I don't know, maybe you'll get 5% response rate. Uh, but we ended up getting 20%, which is very high. And, 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 uh, and why? I think in large part because we sent this mailer to the doctor's houses. Okay, so the doctors are getting tons of mail, tons of survey solicitations to their practice address, which in the medical data, the data that you get from the government or from the medical associations is the only data that most people have access to. By linking this to their voter registration record, we know their home address. So this thing comes, to, there's no gatekeepers there throwing the uh, mail out. They actually see the mail because it's coming uh, to their home address, okay? Which is, might feel a little bit creepy, but um, you know, not in our business. It might feel creepy to them, but not, not from us, it's not creepy. In this process, notice uh, uh, only, eight doc only eight people wrote back. We asked people in this mail, or please write back to us if you're not a physician uh, and you got this by accident. Only eight people wrote back to us to do this. That rate of, of uh, non-physicians, I actually just finished a, a survey that we're processing now of donors in the United States, so we also linked the names of donors uh, who are max out donors. They contributed the maximum amount to a federal candidate. We sent them a survey by matching to Catalyst, and we also got the same share of people who said that they're the wrong person. So pretty good. Um, you're not, we're not getting that many people who false positive matches. There were some people who said, I am a doctor, I am this person, but I don't engage in any primary care. Like maybe I do only geriatrics, or maybe I'm just a researcher, and so they didn't take the survey. Okay, so this is a fairly small study. This is a kind of a first step in this research project, and in some ways that's why I'm showing it to you, so you can help think about next steps. Uh, we have a fairly representative sample on gender and these specialties and the size of the practice, except there is this pretty glaring thing, which is that there are more Democrats who responded than Republicans. Um, we solicited, of the ones we solicited, 55%, were Republican, were sorry, Democratic. By the way, we didn't like stratifying that. It's just doctors are, even primary care doctors are basically split 50-50 Democrat-Republican. But 62% of, uh, of the respondents were Democratic. What's going on there? This is actually, we see this again in a study of donors. It could be that Yale, I don't, I don't know if you guys see this in news, but Yale has become like a, uh, more than ever before, a university associated with sort of like a liberal uh, elitism <laughs> and more than, the, than Yale's peer institutions. And we worry a little bit that um, maybe some respondents um, feel like they don't want to help out Yale. That's, that's a possibility. We don't really know what's going on with that. Obviously, all of the study is the difference between Democrats and Republicans, so there's just like nothing we can do about that, um, that response bias. But there it is. Okay, so let me show you the data. 
Remember all the, remember all the vignettes? Maybe, hopefully. Okay, so this is scale from one to 10. We, we present to them with each of these vignettes and we're gonna ask them how big of a concern it is. And then we're gonna ask them, what would you do in this situation? So first I'm gonna show you the data on how serious of a problem this is. And this is just the, the raw data. I'll show you models later. But it's nice to see the raw data. So here you can see these are, so this is not concerned at all. This is very concerned. And the blue is the universal color for <coughs> Democrats and the red for Republicans. And what you can see kind of really nicely just in this histogram, no control variables, nothing, is that on the non-politicized issues like alcohol, these two um, distributions are very similar, the red and the blue. And you look at something like marijuana and you see, oh, that doesn't look like that at all. The Democrats are much more over here in the non-concerned department and the Republicans tend to be more concerned. Uh, and you see that with firearms pretty clearly. Uh, Democrats very concerned, Republicans not concerned, and abortion, where the Democrats are more here and the Republicans are more there, right? On the other ones, um, including by the way that sex worker one, uh, the distributions are very similar to one another. Which is what you might expect, right? Which is what we expected, that on these non-politicized issues, they're not gonna trigger some kind of partisan identity and the doctors are gonna just say the same thing. But on the political ones, they're gonna say different things. Here's a, a, a typical model we use to assess this in um, a regression framework. So this is a, just an OLS model with fixed effects for the state of residence, right? So that fixed effect is doing is saying, only doctors in Iowa are gonna be compared with doctors in Iowa. We're gonna take out all the state level variation, just look at within state variation. So this is a dichotomous variable, whether you're a Republican or not. Age and years, gender, religious attendance, that's a dummy to whether you attend religious services regularly or not. Um, patient SES, so we asked a bunch of doc, we asked the doctors a bunch of questions about their patients. They were like percentages, like what percent of your patients are African-American? What percentage of your patients are um, non-English speaking, what percentage of your patients are um, generally healthy? What percentage of your patients are uh, low income on Medicaid? And so we, we, we combine that with factor analysis and we have the scale of patient socioeconomic status. This oversample is whether the doctors were in this sample of mixed partisan practices or not. So in the end, about half of our sample was doctors who were, who were in this, this sample of practices where we're sampling multiple people of different parties. We have an indicator for that, okay? So this means that on this 10-point scale, um, the Republican doctors were rating this concern about marijuana as a point, 1.13 points higher than the Democrats. It's actually a pretty big effect because the standard deviation of these um, effects is like, is like two. Right, so there's like a half a standard deviation difference between the Democrats and Republicans. This is the model coefficient estimate for each of these uh, nine vignettes. And as you can see, the abortion and marijuana stand out. These are the, the issues that the, the Republicans, that the Republicans express more concern than the Democrats. And firearms are the, um, the ones that the Democrats express more concern than the Republicans. This is exactly what you would expect. And the other ones are, are pretty close to zero. Now, some obvious potential confounders. I've already controlled for these things, uh, gender and religion in, in linear sets, but let's see whether there's an interaction, okay? So here's one way to look at that interaction. If you break up 
the database, not only by uh, Republican and Democrat, but also by gender, for example, you'll see that there is no gender effect in the sense, or there's basically no gender effect. That, that the, the, this is the difference uh, that male, pa male doctors and female doctors are both more concerned about marijuana if they're Republican. Male doctors and female doctors are both more concerned, less concerned about firearms uh, if they're Republican. And there's a slight, so, so female uh, women doctors compared to men doctors are slightly but not statistically, not statistically significantly less concerned about the, about the abortion vignette than their, their male colleagues. On religious attendance, no difference. The attendees and non-attendees have to exhibit the same partisan differences uh, as one another. If you look at um, the patient population, also really nothing here. So if we just break down that factor scale into quartiles, um, so these are the doctors who see the poorest patients. These are the doctors that see the wealthiest patients. There too, on these three politicized vignettes, there's you know, no overall trend of that they're more concerned or less concerned. Everyone have a moment over there? So, sorry, how yeah. do you measure the Yeah, so we asked each doctor a bunch of questions about their patients. And then we um, put that into a factor score. So you know, it's like a, it's like a com it's a basically a, um, an average of their, their percentage that they said of how many patients are on Medicaid, uh, are unhealthy, uh, I think are, are non-white. It's basically an average of that. And then we divide that average into four to have the lower socioeconomic status to the higher. So that's not externally measured. That's why I'm yes, no, it's just from the doctors, right? We could. The trick is we, we do have the practice address, so we could say something about the practice address, but um, you know something like the the county or the zip code is not sufficient. Like you don't know whether like say a university practice that's in a non you know it might so so this we thought was the best way to do it under the circumstances. Okay, so now let's talk about the patient population even more, right? So I want to get this right, that we want to know that what's going on here is a doctor's politics and not something about the characteristics of their patients. Step one is just look at the oversample versus the non-oversample. So the doctors who are in these mixed partisan practices versus doctors who are not. And there we see the same, same effects in both those populations. Okay, so these are doctors, the oversample means these are doctors who we know they're in practice with some of the other party. Are they different? No. Uh, from the ones who are only in similar same party? No. Okay, and here is the sharpest test, which is that instead of using state fixed effects, we're using practice fixed effects. Okay? What this means is that we are basically throwing out all the data except for doctors who are in practices with someone of the other party, and we got responses from both of them. Okay? So now, remember, we only have 300 responses. About half of them, 150, are coming from mixed partisan practices. But um, suppose like, we have a mixed partisan practice with three Democrats and one Republican, and we get two responses from that practice, but they're both from Democrats. That doesn't help us here. So we're throwing that out too. So we're down to a fairly small sample of doctors who we got multiple responses from from the same practice of different parties, which is why the standard errors are very big. But at least we can see from here that in magnitude they are similar or even bigger than across practices. Right? And actually this one is statistically significant by conventional standards that the, doc the Republican doctors in practice with Democratic doctors exhibit two points more concern than the Democratic doctors in the same practice. 
right? Which is bigger, almost a point bigger than than the overall um, than the overall estimate. Does that make sense? Okay. So if this is true, it's pretty amazing. That means when you go to your doctor, assuming you didn't like you know investigate their political affiliation on your own, and you just maybe choose a doctor by where they went to school or their gender or however people choose recommendation. Um, and you're not choosing the doctor based on something that is correlated with politics. We can talk more about what that might mean later. Uh, you're going to get different care, maybe. You're going to get a different amount of alarm. And as we'll see later, actually different treatment recommendations. So do different doctors in the same practice, you know that they get the same kind of patients? Because wouldn't the patients affiliate with doctors? I don't know. Yeah, so it's a good question. So, we, so remember, this is already controlling for that patient population self-reported to the doctor. So now we've asked the doctor about their own patient population, and we know that they're in the same practice. So it's very, yeah, so, so we think we're getting it. I think we're getting as close as we can to the right answer to that, which is that we think we are controlling for their perceptions of their patients, and we're controlling for an objective measure of the patient population in the practice group. But um, we don't know for sure, right? So uh, let me just give you a personal anecdote here. When, uh, when we had our first child and needed to find a pediatrician, we sought our friend's advice. And they said, OK, there are two pediatricians that, we, that are in town. One will tell you exactly what to do. And the other one will tell you everything is fine. And we said, OK, we want the one to tell us everything is fine. <laughs> okay? um, now, that decision might be correlated with politics. Right, and, and it's an unobserved, like we don't, like there's nothing politics about that decision except maybe it's correlated with politics and it might affect things in ways that are unmeasurable here. Um, what's our best response to that if we're defending our research design? It would say people make that decision in certain circumstances, like in pediatrics, probably more than when they go and find a primary care physician, which for many people, at least in the US, is like, uh, go to my employer's Aetna interface and like finding some doctor who has room for a new patient, <laughs> and you know, and maybe like meets my my gender um, uh, preference. So like, if you're deciding based on just that, we think we're going to get it right. If you're deciding on these nuanced recommendations, um, we might get it wrong. Uh, what what are those? Just more on this. I mean. It's interesting that in certain domains, we do see sorting. So for example, in gay health, there's a lot of sorting. Uh, the Human Rights Campaign in the US puts together a very careful list of recommendations for gay patients who seek gay-friendly doctors, who are doctors who know about those. And um, that's, a, that's a group that's, that's sorting very, it seems to be sorting a lot into, into doctors. And so if we're not picking up on that here, which maybe we are by practice group, and patient population, um, then that'd be a problem. Another example is that there are, there's an organization of pro-life OBs who put out a list of pro-life OBs. Um, and so you might imagine if you are seeking an OB, you know, if you are, if you are um, let's see, if you're uh, pregnant and you don't want to be pressured into doing a lot of prenatal testing because it's, because that's what you want. You can go to this list of pro-life OBs who's going to be uh, some signal that they are, they are sympathetic to that, um, that patient preference. Yeah? Where I can imagine it matters is immigration. Like immigration-friendly doctors are going to be much more sought out by immigrants. Right? 
and, and that will change the composition of the patients, even if they're on the same track? Yeah, so that, will, that I think will capture pretty well since we're like, we know, we're asking the doctors percent okay, of your so patient. Come up in the okay. Yeah. Yep. You think, okay. Yeah. I'm a little confused about the sorting doctors by primary and, and others. Sure. Because um, like when I was um, when I was choosing a doctor through Obamacare, I had to choose my primary with a specialty. So how does that you had to choose your primary care doctor. Yeah, and it, they had specialties, so you could choose one who, like your primary would be an OBGYN. Ah, I see. Like, yeah, so we only, so all the doctors are associated with a, a taxonomy code, which has their specialties. Mm -hmm. And um, primary care, like in, we oftentimes lump together adult primary care, pediatrics, OBGYN into primary care. Um, for the survey, we wanted to just, be, just because basically we wanted to be able to ask a set of survey questions that would make sense for this group, we, we did not survey OB, people with OB taxonomy codes or pediatric taxonomy codes so that this question would be relevant to them, right? If we did pediatrics, we just had to have, a, or OB, we'd have to ask a different set of questions. Like, you know, we wouldn't ask about the helmets or we wouldn't ask about, you know, maybe. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not a doctor. <laughs> Uh, luckily, my partner is. Okay, so now I'm going to show you the treatment plans, okay? And then we'll, we're good on time, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, so the treatment plans are we ask the doctor, in this scenario, what are you going to do? And we give them a bunch of options, how likely are you to do these things, all on 10-point scales. Now, in primary care, like one thing that's really different about primary care than other areas of medicine is that, and I'm sure you all know this experience, that a lot of what a primary care doctor does is provide advice is not like saying, okay, get tested for this or do that. It's like, well, I think that you not wearing a helmet is dangerous. Let me talk to you about wearing a helmet. Or I think that you're overweight. Let's talk about, let's talk about that. So, so a lot of what a treatment plan is to a primary care doctor is what are you going to counsel the patient on and what are you, are you not going to counsel the patient on? So for the marijuana, for example, the options are, and again, these are 10-point scales, are you likely to, on a 10-point scale, refer this patient to counseling, ask about the patient's motivation to stop, urge the patient to cut down, discuss the health risks, discuss the legal risks, okay? And as you see, these are ordered in the difference, level of difference, and we see pretty substantial differences between the Republicans and Democratic doctors. These, by the way, all with the, with the set of controls that I've already talked about, that if you smoke marijuana a couple times a week and you tell your doctor about it and the doctor's Republican, you're, he's, he or she is more likely to urge you to stop and discuss the legal and health risks associated with marijuana use, okay? If you've told your doctor that you've had two elective abortions in the last five years, but you're not pregnant, uh, that doctor is more likely, the Republican doctor is more likely to discuss the mental health aspects of abortion. By the way, there's not much evidence that there are mental health aspects of abortion in this case. We phrased it that way in a very um, purposefully ambiguous way to let the doctors read into it what they wanted to. Um, so we just said discuss the, we didn't say discuss mental health risks, we said discuss the mental health aspects of abortion, and there we see a difference between Republicans and Democrats. And the Republican is much more likely than the Democrats to encourage the patient not to have future abortions. Yes? Is this for the state? Uh, Fixed effects, yeah. Right, again, controlling for age and gender, and uh, age, gender, patient socioeconomic status, uh, religion. Some states have 
Yes, yes, for, right, you know, for all, it's a good point because for all of these actually, the legal regime is different by state for marijuana for sure. Uh, obviously there's federal laws against marijuana but there's increasingly different state laws about marijuana um, for abortion and what doctors can talk about about abortion and for guns. So, so we did look in the appendix of this paper at all those kinds of state level variations by, by state law. Finally, firearms, very interesting with firearms. Uh, the, the, the Democratic doctors, who remember expressed more alarm, more concern about this, are more likely to urge the patient not to store firearms, although this doesn't uh, rise to a level of statistical significance at the .05 level. The Republicans, though, are more likely to talk about safe storage practices, which is the right thing to do. Right? There's medical evidence that when a doctor talks to you about storing your firearm safely, you store your firearm safely, and the Republicans are doing this more than the Democrats. Why? Is this a, this is a, might be a surprising finding. What's going on here? Well, after the study came out, we started to talk to doctors about this. We presented it to medical audiences. A couple things came out. One is that the, the Democratic-friendly version of the, of the explanation here <laughs> is, um, is the only right thing to do in this situation is to not store your firearm at home. So I don't want to discuss safe storage practice with you. I just want to urge you not to do this. The Republican explanation for this and what we think is basically the correct explanation for this is that Republican doctors are probably more familiar with firearm storage and are better equipped to talk to their patients about it and that is why they are more likely to do it um, because they know about it. We don't know, that's just our guess about what's going on there, but, um, but that's what's going on there. Yeah. Well, I mean, I have a question that for all of these outcomes, sure. sort of the personal experience, and I know you're not able, or you know, bias the survey to ask I don't know, five years ago where one of the newspapers, I don't think it was the Times, just you know, did a public record request for all firearm licenses and published everyone who had a, had a firearm license. Um, so it might be possible to, to study that. That's a good point. I hadn't thought about that. Um, yeah, that's a possibility. About marijuana use, I don't know. Uh, maybe marijuana prescribing patterns in the states that do permit that. Uh, most of these states actually do, I think, now have for, uh, for medical treatment, um, no, not prescriptions. It's legal, but sometimes they can't prescribe it. And in any case, I bet you can't get that record. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it just strikes me as, I mean, potential unobserved variable that could Yeah. Affiliate, you know, your personal experience is correlated with your party affiliation, and you're not able to see it. Yeah, I mean, you know, one, like the marijuana vignette in general is strongest. It's like, like I told you before about the Democrats, like not being alarmed at all about that. And, um, I, I, I don't know if that's because the Democrats um, use marijuana more. I think, it's, I think it's really politics. I mean, I think that they, they look at that issue and say, okay, there's no strong medical evidence that this is a problem, so I'm now going to tell you it's not a problem. And then you say, doctor, this patient smokes marijuana two times a day. You're not concerned at all? And, and, and they, they become partisans. I mean, this is our story, basically. This is one story you might tell. They become partisans and say, no, there's no evidence. I'm not concerned about it. But doctor, Twice a day, they're just kind of permanently high. They, no, there's no evidence. You know, yeah. So maybe it's a personal experience, or maybe it's just you know their partisanship. Yeah. This kind of follows up with what you were just talking about. So I'm wondering if there's a difference between what people say they do and what they do in practice. Yeah. Are you at all concerned about that, like social desirability bias, and do you think maybe it could be differential by political Yeah, it's a good question. So I mean, the are we on the? Let me. The next step of this study, or if anyone working on this, these kinds of study, is to do it with real medical data as opposed to survey data. But 
you know, you might think in general people would be more guarded in a, so, so what's, the general evidence is that these kinds of vignettes do track pretty well onto actual behavior. But if anything, you might expect that doctors to be more guarded uh, in this scenario, in, 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 in the survey um, environment than in real, in real practice, right? These, these, are, these are people who have, with advanced degrees who are surveyed all the time, who look at data all the time, and they're taking this as a very sophisticated user of a survey. And so you might think they're like looking out for, uh, and to, to present themselves as more cautious. Now, if that, if that kind of sentiment is differential by party, as you're suggesting, that could pose a problem for the research design. Okay, finally, just uh, the sex worker one, which we didn't see any differences on. This is a, sort of the fourth one we thought has a little, it's obviously doesn't have the same clinical bent as marijuana or abortion or guns, but we thought, well, it's about, it's about sex, so maybe we'll see some differences. And here we do see pretty sharp differences with some of these, um, um, these treatment options, discussing the legal risks, discussing the impact on your personal, would you, you know, the patient sees sex workers, are you gonna discuss the impact of this on your social, on your, on your relation, your personal relationships. And the Republican doctors are more likely to say that they would do that. Okay, now if you look at the non-political treatment plans, we see something interesting, which is in general, not generally statistically significant, not generally large, but in general, there's a pro-Republican, or, or a, uh, the Republicans are more interventionists. They're more likely to want to uh, intervene and do these things, right? Uh, um, on all of them, so that they're, they're, they're slightly more likely for the alcohol one to refer to counseling, refer to Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, et cetera. For cigarettes, slightly more likely to urge the patient to quit and prescribe medication. There's just like an average 0.5 difference here um, on all of them. Uh, now, but notice two things, right? The, 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 the magnitude of the difference is just way bigger on the political one. So this is the same question for alcohol, cigarette, and marijuana. Would you discuss the health risks of this thing? And on alcohol and cigarettes, yeah, there's that 0.5, they're a little bit more likely, but they're three times more likely the Republicans are on the marijuana vignette, where it, there is, compared to cigarettes and alcohol, way less medical evidence that this kind of marijuana use is problematic. Now, again, that might be because the Democrats are just using their partisan, um, put their partisan hats on and are just like way less concerned than they ought to be or because the Republicans are way more concerned than they ought to be. But that difference is, is this is not at all like the cigarette and alcohol scenario. Now, I presented this before, showing these treatment variations and someone said, you know, um, so that means we should have Republican doctors, right? Because we want doctors to be more interventionist on average. And I actually, don't, I don't know if that's true. I mean, this is outside of my area. Some people want that kind of intervention, some people don't. Uh, but certainly on the political things, you're gonna get it more from Republicans uh, than Democrats. Okay, so let me talk about why this matters and get into a little bit where I hope the research will take us in the future. What are we seeing here? I think we're seeing some evidence of a spillover effect of politics into professional decision making, right? We, like that partisanship, just your affinity with a party uh, that you use when you're voting for politicians <laughs> is somehow affecting maybe uh, how you're treating patients in a totally non-political setting that's affecting people in life and death ways potentially. Um, and then again, it's just unrelated to politics, right? It's, it's sort of a, maybe the first or one of the first examples of this 
kind of political spillover affecting just non-political behaviors in a serious professional setting. What are our goals with this? Well, like one goal we have on the medical side um, is to raise physician awareness of how they might treat patients differently because of this. So just like we might want to raise their awareness about racial, implicit racial bias, when you're in a position where you have to talk to patients about politically sensitive topics, whether like the ones we studied or ones we didn't study, other aspects of uh, sexual health, um, end of life care is a big one, areas of medical treatment that touch on politics, we want to do more research on this and raise physician awareness about it so that they can be um, mindful of it when they're engaging in their um, treatment. We also are thinking about, thinking about, potentially using, thinking about settings where this could be a useful tool to patients and to advocates. So what do I mean by that? Well, I mean something slightly controversial like making a website where people can look up their doctor's politics, which I've said to audiences of doctors before, and one doctor's like, you will not get tenure. <laughs> uh, they do not like that, right? They do not like it for, probably in part for business reasons, right? This would potentially mean closing off their business to half the population if, if, doc, if patients like to choose their doctors based on this. And also probably because like, like every, the feeling that everyone has, like can't we not have politics affect everything? They have that probably civic feeling as well. But in some settings, it might be appropriate for patients to have this tool. Right, right now in the US, when you look up your doctor, you can look up their gender, and you can look up where they went to medical school. Why? Are all doctors who went to Yale or Harvard better than the ones who went to whatever the lowest tiered medical schools are? No, but patients use that as some kind of, of shortcut to evaluating the kind of care they're going to get. It's not, um, it, it doesn't mean every doctor at Yale is better than every doctor at some other school, but it means that some patients want this and demand it as a useful shortcut. And politics is a shortcut like that, and it's a public record. So on the one hand, shouldn't we empower patients with that tool, right? Let them see the doctor's political views so that they can use it to figure out what doctor they want. And in some settings, right, like um, what settings are we talking about? Well, OBGYN, if you're looking for an OB, um, in a lot of the country, OBs are 50-50 Democrat or Republican. Actually, nationally, OBs are about 55% uh, Democratic. Male OBs are majority Republican. Female, they were like 60-40. Uh, female OBs are about 60-40 Democratic. On average, unless you're in some very liberal enclave, there's about a 50-50 chance your OB is going to be a Democrat or Republican. Now, would that be a useful tool for people to have shopping for an OB? Well, it's going to be very highly correlated with that doctor's preferences on, on reproductive health. And so maybe patients should get that. Or, you know, if, if your you know, son or daughter is gay and needs to find a doctor who uh, is well-versed in, in gay health, maybe this is a useful tool, right? So it's controversial. Everyone, every doctor hates this idea, um, as you might imagine. But like, you know, we're, not, uh, we're still chewing on it because it's something that um, could, be, could be a useful tool to patients, if not for doctors. Next steps. Okay, so what are we doing with this? Um, 
we're hoping that other people will do this too, basically. I'm not going to do all that much more research on doctor's politics, but I want to do some. Um, but I think the next real steps are to partner, either, either to get government re records uh, on uh, physician care. Because of how the government records are in the US, it's much easier to get Medicare data than any other kind of data. And in Medicare data, it's mostly end-of-life care, sort of like the big political and hospice, all that stuff, is, is, the, is the big hot-button political issue. Alternatively, you know, we could partner with um, insurance companies and provider networks to try to study this on the uh, non-elderly um, care side of things. The other thing is to think about, you know, one thing, one thing I'm thinking about is, is, um, is to interact data with the patients and the doctors. So you can't get data on who a doctor's patients are. But, you know, we could, for example, send a, a survey to every uh, woman between the ages of, say, 18 and 40 living in a particular area where we know all the OBs practicing there. And we say, would you like to learn about your information about your OB? We'll give you some information like where they went to college. And maybe for some of these patients, we'll tell them their doctor's political affiliation. And then maybe we'll see if the doc patient wants to change doctors. Um, and to help us understand, A, how much sorting is already going on? Like, that's a really interesting question that we don't yet know the answer to, right? We have some observable information about patients and about, about doctors' patient populations, um, like basic geography. But it would be interesting to know if whether, like, there's, you know, here's a town in North Carolina where there's two OBs and one's Democrat, one's Republican, and maybe the patients are already really well sorted. Like, maybe not. Uh, if they're not, maybe they would like to be. Um, so there are certain kinds of uh, behaviors that we just don't know about that we could explore with this kind of, um, these kinds of linked records. Um, I would say in just general, uh, you know, we're using this, I'm using this kind of design, combining one set of records with another. Like I said, I'm doing this thing with, with uh, religious leaders now, a very, very similar design with donors um, to try to get you know, to new questions in political science and social science in general that were hard to answer before. So with that, I will open up for uh, questions and critiques. <laughs>